Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Christy Keith. Christy is a journalist and communications consultant who works exclusively in the fields of animal welfare and veterinary medicine. A native San Franciscan, she moved to Michigan in 2011. Among her clients are the Million Cat Challenge, Maddie's Fund, the Shelter Pet Project, Operation Catnip, Dr. Marty Becker, and the Maddie Shelter Medicine Program at the University of Florida. Christy, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thanks, Stacy. Before we dive right into the heart of your work, I was just wondering, how did you get started getting involved in animal welfare and being passionate about community cats? Well, I started getting involved in animal welfare back in 1991 when I was writing a pet column for my local newspaper. I wrote a column called Outlaw Cats. Is it illegal to put the milk of human kindness out for cats? And it was long before we talked about community cats or any of the kind of modern perspectives we have on it. This was in San Mateo County, California, where there was a very non-progressive leadership at the county shelter. There was a lot of hostility in different factions, maybe not so different from today, but but very, very pronounced. And there was a big push coming from what we always called the Bay side of the county or the more populous side where Silicon Valley is now, although it didn't exist then. I lived out on the rural side of the county or what we called the coast side. We had uh, barn cats and we had a lot of um, feral cats living out. Uh, there was a gigantic airport that was you know, just a private airport with little planes the size of you know Volkswagens. There were a lot of cats there and the pilots all liked them because they kept down the rodents and they fed them and took reasonably good care of them, but not a lot of spay-neuter. And we were involved with trapping these cats and driving them over to the other side of the county to get sterilized and vaccinated. And the county shelter was adamantly against this and was saying things like the lucky ones die beneath the wheels of a car. Oh. And yeah, no, this was a direct, that was a direct quote, by the way. I got really angry. My entire involvement with this, other than writing about it, was um, occasionally driving. I didn't trap. I didn't have a colony on my property, nothing. But I was offended by the irrationality of that position. It was very clear to me that these cats were doing great, that where we lived was a wonderful place to have cats as long as they were sterilized and why not. It was a tradition of the agricultural community that there were always cats around in the barns and the fields and obviously at the airport. And I, I just kind of took it, <laughs> I just took it to heart and decided that I was going to go talk to the county commissioners and um, just do my best to get a more rational policy in place. So I went over and my first experience of sitting in the office of a representative and laying out my case. And I'm proud to say that I did a pretty good job. We got a good policy in place. It was probably looking back is not what 
I would want now because we had things like colony registration and mm-hmm. things that now I would right. say no. Yeah, for the time, it was progressive. And we were able to get the cats uh, sterilized for free. It was ultimately a pretty big win. And uh, I was really just kind of hooked from that point on. I, I was also involved with some dog issues and some overall pet issues. But that was my my entry in was through that that one. The main focus of our show today is around the topic of communications. And you handled communications for quite a few different organizations. What does it mean to be in charge of communications for an organization? Or what is communications? Communications in its broadest sense is anything to do with words. Although, of course, communications can also be visual. It is the message. It is how we talk about things. It is what we tell people. It is how we persuade them to act. It is how we educate. It is every single solitary thing that has to do with us expressing our mission, our desires, our needs. And the thing that I am the most passionate about is trying to find effective ways to persuade people to change how they think in order to get them to change what we do. So for me, it's all about persuasion. That is the single most important thing. Communications and marketing usually go hand in hand, often also with advertising. I just want to know how to get inside people's heads and get them to think in different ways about the issues that I care about. So persuasion, and there's also motivation, and there's Mm -hmm. manipulation in there too. Oftentimes, When we're communicating, say, with a feral cat colony, someone in the neighborhood who wants a feral cat colony removed or a community Mm -hmm. cat colony removed, you have to go through all different levels of communication to communicate with them. You may be switching things around to be able to get to your end result in whatever way, shape, or form you can, which is, you know, getting it so the cats can still stay there. So you may be using different tactics. So I would assume there are tactics in communication with, you know, return to field or managed admissions. When you try to embark on communications, what sort of tactics do you use? The most important thing that I do is I always want to understand who is my audience. And maybe like the example that you just gave, it's an audience of one. It doesn't matter how right you are. It doesn't matter how much you know. None of it matters. What matters is what they think, what they feel, what they want, and what they hear. So I just throw everything out the window. I throw out my words, my language. I talk to them in the words they're using to me. I empathize with their issue, and I try to talk to them from the point of view of acknowledging that they have a concern that is real and gradually try to get them to care about what I care about, which is these cats. Most people do care about cats. So taking that micro example and going to a macro example where you're trying to communicate with large numbers of people through social media, through a newsletter, through an interview with the media, with any form of communications that is fundraising appeal, whatever it is, uh, when you're talking to legislators you still do the exact same thing. Who is your audience? What do they care about? What do they want? So many times we waste opportunities when we're advocating for community cats. We waste them by talking about what we care about and what we want and what we think and using our own language 
instead of speaking to people where they are about what they know. And I can't count the number of times I've sat in public meetings listening to feral cat advocates stand up and say everything that is the absolute wrong thing to say to a legislator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it can be that specific, and it can also be national organizations, the language that they choose to use in their, in their blog posts or their mailings their TV ads, their fundraising, what are they saying about cats or animal welfare in general? How do they talk about it? How do they frame it? Sometimes big organizations, they make mistakes. They pursue one area where it's successful. For example, very, very sad images of animals used to fundraise. They're effective fundraisers, but they make it look like animals in shelters are sick, abused, miserable, when you and I both know that most animals in shelters are not sick, abused, and miserable. So, and that discourages people from adopting. So it may raise money, but it doesn't increase adoptions. So I think it's really important to understand, again, who's your audience, what's your goal, and then that I would call unintended consequences. Looking for a great tool to help educate your neighbors about community cats? Check out this sign available from the folks at Lumen LS, a life-saving organization from Broward County, Florida, that believes no cat should be left behind. This sturdy, bright orange sign featuring an ear-tipped cat would be great for cat colony caretakers, shelters and rescues, spay-neuter clinics, or municipalities and animal control organizations. Education about the correct ways to manage community cats is exploding in the U.S., especially in the last five years. This sign will help you let your community know that ear-tipped cats have been fixed and vaccinated and pose no threat to them. The community cat sign comes complete with all of the hardware you need to post it, Buying and posting the sign will help move animal welfare forward and improve outcomes for cats in your area. You can view and purchase the signs directly from our Facebook page at Lumen LS. They also have a colorful informational brochure about community cats plus lots of other resources. Support the Community Cats podcast and LumenLS.org by going to Lumen LS on Facebook today. If we have a second, I want to give you my favorite example about cats, of unintended consequences. I'm sure you've seen these, if two unaltered cats, if they have kittens in some amount of years, usually five or seven, will have 420,000 offspring descendants. Right. This is put out by rescue groups, TNR groups, animal shelters, animal advocacy groups all the time. You Google cats, 420,000, and you get you know, 4 million returns. This is being done to get people to spay and neuter. But it isn't true, first of all. A lot of statisticians and other people have analyzed the numbers, and it's somewhere, I think, between 50. And I don't remember what the high end was. It was a very low thousand to 3,000 something, maybe 5,000. So it's a very, it's a much smaller number. I'm not saying those cats shouldn't be sterilized. I'm saying that do we actually want to be putting out a message that tells people that cats left to their own devices will literally inundate the earth with kittens in an extremely short amount of time? That's crazy. That hurts us. You know, that is unintended consequences. You think you're saying a good thing. You're actually saying something very damaging. So this is an example where a professional communications expert can look at your message, 
find unintended consequences. Find where you're not talking to people who need to hear your message. You're just preaching to the choir and help you craft a message that actually meets your goals without fighting with some of your other goals. Everybody knows that I'm a great fan of targeted spay-neuter projects, Mm -hmm. but I also find it makes life a lot easier for me in terms of crafting a communications plan because I will know my local area so well that I can tell you approximately a good solid number of, you know, how many cats that we estimate that we need to assist in that community. It becomes a very viable and true project that is really easy to explain. And it prevents me from entering into an abyss area where when I'm talking with somebody and I talk about 42,000 cats, their eyes just glaze over and Mm -hmm. I've lost them as a captive audience. If I talk about 20 or 30 cats that I know of around the corner, it may seem overwhelming, but it's in their backyard and it's something that they feel that they can help and assist with. Mm -hmm. That's really important not to frame a problem as being so big that it feels insoluble. And that is another, that's not just an animal welfare problem. That's sort of a human problem uh, across all kinds of fields. But it's really important to give people reachable goals and to inspire them to act with something where they see results because that reinforces their action. Whereas if it's an invisible benefit where you do, where you do something, but you see no results, that is a negative reinforcer. You figure, what did I do? I did nothing. And so it's really important to break things down into small pieces so people can feel that they did something or that they can do something. As we embark looking into 2017, some of my blog posts have been focused on the idea of goal setting Mm -hmm. and thinking about goals for your organization for the year to come. I try to encourage groups, even if it's a rough sketch of a sort of a fundraising plan and an operational objectives plan, just even if it's your top three items, just to to feel like you have some goals to reach. With regards to communications, is, is it a good idea or is something for even a small group to sit down and think about what do they want to communicate in the year ahead? Absolutely. The smallest group, I don't care if you're three people running a tiny little TNR program or a foster-based rescue, whatever you are, you should still have a communications plan. And I think that even using that phrase communications plan is scary So when I consult with really small organizations or even some bigger ones, but ones that have no infrastructure related to communications, it's just being done. I often say it's being done by somebody who's typing on her keyboard with her right hand while she bottle feeds a kitten with her left. (laughs) They do it as an afterthought is just to realize that communications cannot ever be an afterthought. It, it hands-on care is a separate department, if you will, from the infrastructure of running an organization. So we have organizations that have nobody dedicated to development or fundraising. We have nobody dedicated to communications, even anything as simple as thanking their volunteers or their donors or their adopters. Nobody is doing it. And what gets done, such as posting to Facebook, is being done as an afterthought by the seat of their pants and often in ways that damage their mission. So it is a it is critical that all nonprofit organizations, however tiny, sit down and create a little bit of an infrastructure that includes running their organization, funding their organization, 
making their donors and volunteers feel appreciated. And all of that is communications. And they also have to be concerned about who is in charge of communications for the organization. And I mean, I can sketch out certain press releases or communications that would go out sort of, you know, we're approaching the winter time. So think about getting your shelters ready for winter or kitten season is approaching. And so we're looking for foster homes for kitten season. I mean, these are things that happen every year and that you could really prep those ahead of time. And then there's the story of the cat with the broken leg. Mm -hmm. And that is something that comes into play and mixes into that fold. But I would definitely think you'd almost have a a calendar of sort of evergreen stuff, you know, communication tools that you could use going through. Absolutely. I myself work with calendars and encourage the groups that I work with to use calendars. The problem, I I think that where, where there is a big gap is between the the biggest organizations that are already doing these things and the tiniest organizations that really don't need much. They just need to think about it and prioritize it and understand it. It's in the middle where we have the medium-sized TNR and rescue groups who are really, really, really missing the boat when it comes to professionalizing their communications and all the other elements. I throw everything under the communications umbrella that includes fundraising, press releases, mm-hmm. social media, whatever. So that's that's what I'm referring to. Um, I did want to mention that on the Maddie's Fund website, I have a three-part series that I wrote a few years ago. Um, I was the pet columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle for many years. And I've seen so many truly bad press releases and so many contacts from organizations that wanted me to write about something who did such a bad job of it that I was inspired to write this. It's called An Insider's Guide to Working with the Media, and it's on the Maddie's Fund website. You can find it easily by searching for it. And I include explicit instructions on how to write a press release that people will actually read. I'm glad you mentioned press releases because that is somewhere many groups do press releases. They don't even know how to do a press release or who to send it to. And that needs to be fixed because they are an extremely valuable tool that is being overlooked. And I think there's a lot of fear associated with trying to get the media interested. And they try once or twice and they don't get anywhere and they give up. And that's mm-hmm. just not how it works. It's I always say that it is a long romance, not a one night stand. <laughs> so That's great. No, and I agree. And I actually think that as uh, social media has grown and we spend so much more time on it, I think we've even lost uh, even more of the use of the press release. But the great thing about developing a press release is, and, and I do this in my steps, is I walk you through what you should be doing with your social media too, which is who is your audience and what do you want them to do? I wish I had a dollar for every group where they've asked me to help them write something, anything, an email, a a fundraising appeal, anything. And I say, who is this going to and what do you want them to do? And they can't answer those two questions. If you don't know the answers to those two questions, that's what you have to do first. The call to action and and in social media world, understanding your avatar is what they say a lot. Yeah. So I know I always say like, well, you know, it's Jane out there trapping cats at midnight and has nothing else to do while she's waiting for the traps to close, but to listen to the Community Cats podcast. Yeah, absolutely. You know? It's it's very true. And I remember a great conversation I had with Becky Robinson a few years ago of Alley Cat Allies. And she said to me that 
the people who are really great at trapping cats and bottle feeding babies are probably not the person you want to send to a county commission meeting because <laughs> the skill sets are different and they're both valuable, but we have to stop sending the wrong people to carry our message. We have to find people who have a gift for communicating. And that's why I'm such a big believer of collaborating and working together and being in that sandbox. Even if we do throw it around a little bit, it's better to be in than not be in it at all. <laughs> Very true. Very true. <laughs> so if people are interested, you've mentioned that that Maddie's Fund link, which is great. And we'll get that into the show notes. If people are interested in having any questions for you or would like to find out more information, how would they do that? I'm very happy to get email. They can email me at christykeith at gmail.com. And that's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E-K-E-I-T-H at gmail. And I get lots and lots of emails from people just wanting advice. And I'm always happy to give it within the within the constraints of my available time, but I do, I do respond to uh, all, all emails. And you can also try contacting me on Twitter. It's just at Christy Keith. That might be the fastest way to get my attention. And Christy, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? I did want to just mention, uh, I loved that you mentioned goals and I wanted to encourage people when they're setting goals. Dr. Kate Hurley, who I work with on the Million Cat Challenge, is really um, a big believer, and she calls them stretch goals, meaning goals that make you stretch a little to reach them, to start setting goals that raise the trend line. So if you've been growing the number of cats you get adopted out by 10% a year, for the next year, pledge that you're going to increase it by 15 or 20. You know, challenge yourself. Don't just improve, improve you know, above and beyond your existing trend line. I, I think we all can do that by just punching up our focus on what it is we're doing. And in terms of whether it's social media or sending out more press releases or doing a better job with your fundraising appeals, just look outside of animal welfare, look at all the resources that are out there for nonprofits and just really try to put a stretch goal in place. Which means we need to be measuring where we are oh, yeah. currently, Yes, which is sometimes hard for us Very to hard. do. And that can even be a goal in itself is to really try and understand the whole scope of how many cats are we really helping in a year mm -hmm. with feeding, caretaking. It's not all just about the spays or neuters. It's not all just about the adoptions. There's a lot more that goes into it when we're talking about community cats and really trying to get a grasp on what are we doing and then where do we want to change and grow. I'm a big fan of looking at what you've accomplished in the year previous. This is sort of what I do in November and then December. I sort of finalize what my goals will be in 2017. Is there something that I didn't get to in 2016? Do I roll it over into 17? Do I change it? Do I modify it? You know, why didn't I reach that goal? Mm -hmm. And really just try and take a look at it so that these are goals that I'm comfortable at looking at on a regular basis, because if they're goals that I'm not comfortable at looking at, I'm going to cringe and I'm going to put those goals in the drawer and ignore them. So I want to make sure I'm comfortable with them. Yes. Too. Although I have to tell you, I'm, I'm sorry. I know that we're <laughs> getting to the end, but I'm going to share one more thing. I call this Christie's theory of ergonomic living. How I developed it was many, many years ago, back in the days when I used to subscribe to 
the newspaper. I would read it in the morning and I had sitting at my kitchen chair and I would read the paper and I would put it on the floor next to the chair. And then once a week, I would have to gather up this very messy pile that I was living with all during the week and put it in the recycling bin so that I could put it out to be recycled. And one day I picked up the recycling bin and put it next to my chair. And the motto here is that everything is like that. If you have something that you're focusing on in your organization that makes your stomach knot up and that's hard for you, not something that's a stretch, but something that actually makes you hate, that you hate, that you're bad at, that makes you sick to your stomach, focus on something else. For the love of God, do what you are good at and that you love and that makes you happy. We get so bitter and so burned out focusing on things that we hate, working with people we don't like, doing tasks that that seem to be endless and not rewarding. Life is too short and it doesn't help the animals because we just burn out and we drive people away from animal welfare. So take a lesson from me and my life and do what you love and are good at and use that to serve the animals. So when you're setting your goals and there's some goal that just makes you want to throw up, (laughs) don't make that your goal. Make a goal that makes you happy and excited. Focus on that because you'll get it done. You'll actually do it. That's great. Christy, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show and hope we'll have you on in the future. That'd be great. Thank you so much, Stacey. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 